1: Hey everyone, welcome to the inspired fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host and today we've got the millennial money woman joining the show and she's going to be talking to us about a lot of different things investing how to decide whether to buy or rent a home and a lot of money millennial money myths that we're going to be busting today. So it's going to be a fun episode and I'm so happy that she took some time to join us. And uh before we get into it though I do want to welcome any new listeners if you haven't already subscribe and share with a friend leave a review I always appreciate those as well as go ahead and follow me on Instagram if you guys are on Instagram at inspired to fire Lastly, I think that this ties in perfectly with today's episode. M1 Finance has an amazing offer where you get $50 for free when you open an account and you fund $100. So full disclosure, you get $50 and I get $50. Those $50 that I get goes straight to my son's account who's 10 months at this moment. So hopefully at the time, by the time he turns 18 with some compound interest, like you guys will learn in this episode, that will be a significant amount. So you'll be helping him fund his future and you'll be... helping yourself as well because that's an automatic 50% return on investment. So go ahead and click on the link in the description below. That is the link that will give you the $50 for free. If you use M1 Finance and you fund it with $100, you can fund a Roth IRA or traditional or regular investment account. So it's up to you. But uh, I love M1 Finance and I've been using it now for a few years and uh, it really is better than some competitors, which I won't name. So Anyways, I am really happy that you guys are joining the show and you guys are taking initiative. So I hope that with this episode, this promotion, you guys will take that first step to investing towards your future. So without further ado, here is the Millennial Money Woman, and we are going to be talking all about Millennial Money Myths. Hey, Fiona, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Of course. I'm so happy that we were able to connect and I can get you on the show. Um, I'm really excited about the stuff that we're going to talk about and some of the topics that you bring to the personal finance world. So um, again, I'm, I'm happy to have you here and I'm really excited to dive into that. Before we do, though, I do want you to just introduce yourself to the audience and, and let us know a little bit about you.
0: Certainly. So uh, as I'm sure everyone found out, my name is Fiona and I run the website, themillennialmoneywoman.com. And it's basically a personal finance website. And I'm sure you guys can tell that finance is my passion. Um, I've really you know, grown up with this, this absolute curiosity to know how to not only make money, but how to actually grow money right into this wealth and leaving a legacy for your family, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started with my grandparents uh, when I was probably 10 years old, roughly, my grandparents—they were very diligent. They built this business together, my grandmother and my grandfather. Every single day, they worked very hard. It was a—I mean, it was a—you know—mom and pop shop basically. It was nothing big, um, but you know, due to some poor financial planning, they actually lost everything and more when they were like seventy years old. Um, so wow. just about yeah, it just about retirement, and so. Um, You know, they were not on the streets, but they were pretty much close to living on the streets. And I kind of saw how they went through that, right? Like they had nothing to show after X amount of years of uh, building this business together and seeing that really, I think, planted a seed um, and had me realize like, number one, I don't ever want to go through that when I'm 70 years old, right? Having to worry about finances every single day. No way. And number two, I also wanted to make sure that um, not only do I learn how to prevent that from happening to me and my family, but also what can I do to help and positively impact um, the people that I come in touch with uh, so they don't go through what my grandparents did so long ago. And that was really the driver to you know, getting really involved in finance, personal finance, um, and yeah, building this website, ultimately. So that was my passion.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is uh, so unfortunate, as you mentioned. And uh, a lot of people, un- unfortunately, are in situations like that, where they get to retirement age, and they aren't quite ready. Um, so I think that that's something that I also saw uh, as a potential downside, and uh, wanted to avoid myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love your website, by the way, it's like filled with amazing colors that just pop out and grab your attention. It's easy to read. You got some great articles up there. I wanted you to kind of go into what's your journey like? Are you on the financial independence journey? And by when, where are you at in that? If you can kind of dive into that for us, please.
0: Absolutely. And thank you, by the way, I'm glad you like the colors <laughs> on the website. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, it's It's definitely unique. I love it.
0: Good, I appreciate it. Um, So yeah, definitely. My journey to FIRE really started probably uh, when I was, I'd say probably when I was 18 or 19 years old. Um, And and that's fairly young. Um, And I think it was just because I was already so involved in finance back then, um, because I knew that I would never want to end up like my grandparents. So my journey to saving and investing just started very early. Um, And as I'm sure many of you know, um, time is such an important component on your side, right? Especially the earlier you start, the more likely you'll reach your fire destination, whatever age or year, whatever that is. Um, And for me, Chris, to answer your question, um, I am certainly on my path. So I bought my first house uh, at 23. And um, my goal is to hopefully reach fire here in the next five years or so. And um, basically how I'm trying to achieve that is just by obviously working, but saving between 65%. That's what I did last year to like 75% of my income. Um, and wow. investing that obviously not just saving it. Uh, but it's, I mean, is it hard? Absolutely. It is <laughs> not easy. I mean, guys, I'm just saying like, it is very difficult. And obviously, I know that you have to live kind of, right, you got to live some type of balance. So it's its not always that easy as it sounds. But that's my ultimate target for this year, right? Saving about 75% of my income. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, you know, enjoying it too, at some point, once I reach my fire number.
1: (laughs) So, so yeah, I have to congratulate you on that. I mean, in your 20s, to be that ahead is amazing. I don't think I really realized anything until I was late 20s, early 30s. And I mean, that's just the uh, amazing thing about financial independence is that the earlier you start yeah it might be hard but the earlier you start the easier it becomes and we're going to talk a little bit about the investing uh strategies that we can use to make it easier and then also um buying versus renting a home which you decided to buy your home at at the age of 23 so i'd love to hear a little bit more about that as well before we get into that though could we talk a little bit about dollar cost averaging and why you feel that is so important for someone on their financial independence journey
0: Absolutely. So dollar cost averaging for those of you who um, are not exactly familiar with that um, is basically think about your 401k plan, right? Your 401k plan is a company sponsored retirement plan. And what happens is, right, whenever you get your paycheck, A small portion, hopefully you guys signed up for your 401k plan, right? A small portion of your paycheck is moved automatically from your deposit in your bank account uh, to your company's 401k investment plan. So it goes automatically every two weeks or every month or whenever you get your paycheck into your investment account. And that grows over time. It's automatic and it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, And that's very similar to what dollar cost averaging is. So dollar cost averaging really is a type of investment strategy where the investor, so you, kind of invest automatically periodic purchases of some type of investment, right? So that's, that's what it is. It's a bunch of periodic investments over a long period of time. And um, dollar cost averaging is something that I do personally, and I also recommend to clients and mentees. So we're talking from young professionals all the way to million dollar clients. And they all use this dollar cost averaging strategy. And the reason why it works is because it's stress-free. You don't have to worry about logging into your investment account and placing a trade. It's totally stress-free because it's automatic and it's recurring. And what that means is, again, referring back to that time is on your side, Uh, aspect, right, that we mentioned earlier, dollar cost averaging really, really works well when you do it over a long period of time. And we're talking decades, right? So you're allowing your money to grow maybe three, four decades. And with that, you're also allowing it to compound which what Albert Einstein said is the eighth wonder of the world, right? So your mm-hmm. company basically earns money. Your money is earning money on top of itself. It's working for you. And that is the beauty of dollar cost averaging.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, I, I'm glad you highlighted the compound interest, the automatic um, way that it goes, that, that it gets invested and the reoccurring uh, way that it, it happens. So over the long term, you really don't have to worry about whether the market is up or down or on a day-to-day where it's at, because it's just going to, like you said, dollar cost average, and over the long run, it's just going to average out and be higher because you're investing automatically.
0: That's exactly right. I mean, it's funny, I was doing uh, research, I want to say a couple of weeks ago here, uh, about dollar cost averaging investors, right? So basically people who set it and forget it. So they just do periodic investments, but they don't care, you know, what the markets are doing. So the average return of those investors versus the average return of hedge fund managers, like professionally paid New York City hedge fund managers, <laughs> and it's it's just it's mind blowing because you know, over the short term, absolutely, the hedge fund managers typically outperform um, the dollar cost averaging investors, right? So you see more in your pocket with hedge fund managers. However, over the long run, we're talking 20, 30, 40 years, almost all, I think it's, the statistic is over 90%. The dollar cost averaging investor outperforms the hedge fund manager almost all the time. And think about it. Like you don't need to pay these crazy upfront fees with hedge fund managers. Um, And they take, they charge a lot of money, by the way. Uh, And it's, it's, Totally within your reach, like anyone can do it with dollar cost averaging, and chances are you will likely outperform one of these very highly accredited, um, <laughs> hedge fund managers, which is just mind blowing,
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely is. And, um, so you're saying investing by maybe tracking an index, like an in the index fund, for example, and that would beat a hedge fund as long as you do it automatic, reoccurring over decades, is that what you're saying?
0: Yes, Chris, and thanks for clarifying that, absolutely. So at um, some indexes, indices, such as the S&P 500, which is actually what I'm personally invested in, like 100% all out. Um, the S&P 500 I like is beca- because it's number one, it's diversified because it has 500 of the best blue chip, stable American companies. Um, and yeah, you know, over the last 50 years, I believe it's, it's done about a 7% return which isn't bad considering if you literally invest your money in an S&P 500 index fund and just let it grow over time, it, it, will, tip it, it will likely get that 7% return. At least that's what it did uh, in, in historical performance.
1: Mm-hmm. And I love this strategy for financial independence because it's the most passive strategy that I can yes. think of. You really don't have to do anything. You just set it up correctly at the beginning And you wait and you just continue to work and you kind of optimize other parts of your life or you just get into a hobby, you do things that you love while the money is growing for you in the background. Um, And it takes away from that decision making every month of whether, you know, once you get your paycheck, when should I invest it? Oh, today's kind of an up day. Maybe I should wait for tomorrow because probably tomorrow it'll go down. And you don't have to drive yourself crazy. Deciding when to put it in, so that that part I do love as well, and and lastly, just to hit another point that just came up was, I've heard these instances, for example, in the two thousands of lost decades where the two thousand in two thousand, the S and P five hundred, for example, is at a certain number, and in two thousand and ten it might be at the same number, so people would say, "Wow, that's a lost decade," but. In dollar cost averaging, if you have been investing through the ups and the downs of that decade, you would be ahead, even though the S and P five hundred is at the same number. Is that right?
0: That's absolutely right. In fact, um, you know what, psychologically at least, what is always the best strategy here is okay. Think about this: when you go into, let's say, your favorite clothing store. Do you want to buy your clothes, like your fancy clothes at price, or do you want to buy them at a discount? And chances are, if you're financially savvy and you're on the way to fire, which is why you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to buy something that's on sale, right? That's the same concept that applies to stocks. So in 2008, right, when we had this huge market, the Great Recession, the the market crash, basically, that's when, that's when you wanna buy it because all these stocks, they're on sale. The S&P 500 is on sale. So absolutely, Chris, when you invest, when the stocks are much lower, so when the prices are low and you ride it out in the long term, and that's the key, you ride it out, you don't sell, you don't trade, you ride it out. That's when nine times out of 10, you'll really start seeing the value in dollar cost averaging.
1: Definitely. And, and that was important. And yes, for sure. I mean, everybody loves sales. Um, so you should treat it the same way. And you see a stock market on sale, your eyes should just light up and you should try to find some money to invest. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and what I also love is there are some millennial money myths on your, your blog that I enjoyed uh, reading as well. Um, one of them is saving and investing today, not waiting for tomorrow. Um, So can you talk a little bit about how dollar cost averaging and that millennial money myth um, also ties in? You're kind of, you know, busting that myth right there by doing dollar cost averaging. Um, Why is it so important to start today and not wait for tomorrow, for example?
0: Absolutely. I'd love to bust this myth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a lot of times I hear the excuse that uh, you know, when you're starting out as a young professional, especially, you're probably not earning that much money. And you're, you're typically not at your uh, salary or income peak years, right? It's probably pretty low. Um, and the most common excuse is, well, I'm not earning that much money. So I'm not going to invest today. I'll wait for tomorrow whenever I earn a larger salary. Um, but guys, you're I think you're lying to yourselves, right? I mean, even if it's $5 or 5 um, $10 a week, whatever it is, um, it doesn't matter the amount. It's the fact that you're actually starting practicing these healthy financial habits, because if you're already starting to invest 10 bucks a week, right, that's 40 bucks a month. Um, you're, you're going to automatically start, hopefully start increasing your investments as your income increases, because you're already starting, you've already practiced this healthy financial habit. So um, I think that absolutely this is a huge myth uh, that I hear across a, a lot of different industries, from nonprofit professionals all the way to doctors, right? Young professionals who are doctors, and they all say, uh, "I'll start investing tomorrow when my income increases." But uh, I think it's very important to start as early as possible. And to give you some numbers, Chris, I ran a couple of scenarios, and these are rough numbers, but. You know, if you're 20 years old, for example, and you commit to the dollar cost averaging strategy, then at 20 years old, you could invest $145 every two weeks or $290 every month and do that for 45 years. And you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 65, roughly. And and that would be in the S&P 500, right? Or some type of index fund. Mm -hmm. Now, that's $145 every two weeks at 20. Now, if you delayed that by 15 years and you start at 35, your, your investment every two weeks is going to increase from 145 at 20 years old to $450 every two weeks when you're wow. 35. So you'll just, you, I mean, you see how time is such an important factor. Um, and, and that's that $450 every two weeks at age 35, um, you'll need to do that for 30 years. So at age 65, you'll also be a millionaire right? But again, like those numbers, they just vary so drastically. So yes, when you're young, you absolutely can afford to put in a little bit less than when you're maybe 10 years older, because time is on your side and time is the most critical component to being a successful dollar cost averaging strategy investor.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for breaking it down with the numbers and everything. And and that's that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic example because you see the The power of those 15 years that you lost ends up costing you or you have to play catch up basically. And Mm -hmm. instead of just putting a little bit and letting your money work for you, now you really have to put down a a significant amount and start getting to work if you really want that million dollars by the time you hit 65.
0: That's absolutely right.
1: So. Uh, Thank you again for for breaking that down. And and I wanted to talk a little bit about the trick that you mentioned in one of your articles as well, because I think that's very important as well, especially for younger investors who want to start, maybe have that, uh, not to say excuse, maybe it's an excuse to not start, you know, the fact that they don't have as much money as they'd like to get started. Um, What can you do? Like, in what way, what trick can you do to kind of just get yourself to a goal? Um, and get started. Um, I think you mentioned breaking it down, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up, Chris. So for me, I mean, I'm someone who doesn't exactly work well with um, large goals, right? I mean, goals are always nice, but I'm much more motivated to accomplish goals when I break larger goals down into very small and actually achievable goals. So In the sense of dollar cost averaging, for example, let's go back to the 20-year-old, right? The 20-year-old, we said, if the 20-year-old invests for 45 years at $145 every two weeks or $290 every month, um, they could be a millionaire. Now, that's great, $290 every month, wonderful. But $290 for a 20-year-old is a lot of money, right? Because they're probably not earning that much money. At 20. So, what I like to do is break down this $290 per month goal to invest into a daily goal. And if you do rough calculations, $290 divided by 30 days in a month is about $9.66. We can round that up to $10. So, what I share with my mentees and my clients is that in reality, to be a millionaire at 65, if you're 20, all you got to do is invest $10 a day. And when they hear that number, $10 a day versus $290 a month, they're much more likely to accomplish that $10 a day goal versus that $290 a month goal, right? And the same goes for obviously a larger financial goal. So if you're saying you're going to try to save $1,000 every month, then instead of saying $1,000 every month, you could break it down into $33 a day. Um, but absolutely breaking down those larger goals into smaller, more actionable items is so beneficial, especially when you're trying to invest for your future.
1: Yeah. And and that was a perfect example as well. I think that uh, the right framework around some something like that, like $10 a day versus $290 a month definitely goes a long way. And it goes, it's all about trying to, uh, I guess, spark an interest or sort of entertain. That's what I've noticed with personal finances. You can't just spit numbers or, you know, information at somebody, you really have to make it interesting and kind of grab their attention. And that $10 a day at 20, and you'll be a millionaire by 65. I know that'll wake me up. And I should have, I wish somebody would have told me at, at, at 20, uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. you could have. So $10 a day that can come from maybe not going to Starbucks um, you know, a certain amount of times, or maybe trading in the car for something else. Um, just anything that you can kind of rummage up to find $10. If that's a goal of a million dollars at 65 is, is something that you really want to strive for.
0: Absolutely. I ask, I ask my, uh, the guys I coach, for example, to write down a budget and track every single expenditure uh, for a month. we come back together and we check it out and we try to pinpoint where they could have saved that ten dollars a day and most of the time like you said it's actually smaller more impulse expenses that could have been saved like starbucks right you could make your coffee at home instead of going out and getting it or also also it's lunches a lot of guys like having lunch because obviously it's social right you Mm -hmm. you go out you get you know you spend ten dollars for lunch it's not really much if you look at it just on a daily basis, but when you compound, again, this is where the concept of compounding comes together. $10 a day can add up very quickly in expenses and something that could be saved and actually invested instead.
1: Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yep. And, And this example is great for someone who has that goal for 65. If you wanted to, you know, amp it up a little bit more then you know, you could end up the power of compound interest. I mean, $10, gets you that million at 65, I wouldn't be surprised if just a little bit more than that would get you a million by the time you're 45 or something like that. So um, it's really more about starting early than the amount that you invest, if if that's what I'm hearing right.
0: Absolutely. 100% right.
1: All right. So thank you for that breakdown. And basically, the takeaway from this is if you're on your financial independence journey, really look into dollar cost averaging you know through your 401k through taxable accounts it's it's very powerful and the other part that I don't think we touched on is lump sum investing or maybe I mentioned it but lump if you have a lump sum and you're hesitant about the market whether it's high or low at, at the moment dollar cost average it into the market maybe over three to six months just start getting that process going so I think that's the takeaway and I hope you guys, we'll start that. I do want to switch a little bit because you also have a great article about renting versus buying a home. And you mentioned earlier that you bought your home at 23. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about how you made that decision?
0: Certainly. So I think one of the, the biggest uh, factors that went into my decision of purchasing a house is um, I, I'm a very uh, planned person. So I really, I mean, financial planning, right? That's what it's all about. (laughs) You plan ahead. (laughs) Um, So that makes sense. Uh, But yeah, so basically I always knew roughly like probably again, 18, 19 years old, I I kind of created, believe it or not, a 40 year plan of my life. And yes, that sounds sad, but I actually did that. Um, no, that's,
1: that's not sad at all. I think I've always am doing that as well. So it's just something about the FIRE community or personal finance for sure. We're okay. planning for like 40 years in advance.
0: That Well, I'm glad I feel accepted. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, so yeah, to answer your question, Chris, I started a plan um, at, a, at a relatively young age, right? So late teens, early 20s. And I always, so number one, I wanted to know where would I want to live? Mm -hmm. And I pinpointed Florida. That's where I'm located. I love Florida. I mean, number one, I I love the climate. I like sun. Um, I like the atmosphere. And I also like that it's a 0% state income tax, which kind of saves a little bit of money versus other states, right? Because they charge state income taxes. Um, So all of those factors really played into my decision. So I pinpointed that, number one, Florida. Number two, I also pinpointed that I would not want to leave. And I wanted to choose a location that I enjoyed. And I knew that I wasn't going to leave at least for five to 10 years. And when I when I you know looked through, and this took a while, I looked through many different houses, markets, and then obviously jobs too back then. And I found a location, loved it. And um, I think because I realized I was not going to move and I was, committed to my job, committed to the location, I thought purchasing a house would probably be a lot more in my interest versus renting. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example, I live in a, I live just outside of Miami. Um, and, you know, obviously Miami is very expensive. I don't live in Miami, um, but outside of Miami, the the prices are okay um, relative to the location. And I knew that probably over time, the house price would increase, uh, you know, I mean, that's typically how house prices have gone in the past, at least they appreciate. So what I wa- what I did was I number one, I saved as much money as possible. Um, I got out of college early, uh, I graduated about two years early. So I started my job right away, I started saving right away, I found a house that I loved, was able to negotiate. So there was a little bit of luck, obviously, on my side, too. And then I had enough money to place that down payment. Um, But I think a lot of planning just really comes into the play whether or not you can buy a house. And in my case, I I planned out my down payment, 20% of the house value. I planned out the location. And I also knew that I wouldn't be leaving because um, typically speaking, the break even of when you buy a house to when it's actually worth buying a house versus renting is five years. So you wanna stay in your house for at least five years so it would actually make sense to buy over rent a place so those were really the main factors that that got me into the position that I am right now
1: yeah yeah and I I that's amazing so definitely um considering how long you're going to be at that place or location um is is number one one of the first steps is that right uh secondly Building up a little bit of a financial cushion, it seems like, is what you did to put down 20%. And that eliminates private mortgage insurance as well, which is an extra uh, expense, I guess you could say, attached to the mortgage.
0: Absolutely. Um, private mortgage insurance, or also known as PMI, um, it can certainly, um, over time at least, take a chunk out of your, your monthly cash flows. And private mortgage insurance is typically speaking, charged to um, your mortgage, like you said, it's attached to your mortgage payment for any type of home purchase that is not done with a 20% or greater down payment. So uh, it's definitely, you know, one of the, one of the cons, in my opinion, one of the big, big disadvantages of buying a house is just that initial upfront cost. Mm -hmm. Because if you're, you know, if you're looking ahead, and again, I was looking ahead like decades into the future. I did not want to be stuck paying like a hundred, two hundred dollars a month, or whatever, fifty dollars a month for PMI. I'm not going to do that because I know that's going to take a bite out of my cash flow down the road. So instead, I bit the bullet early. I put down that large down payment, and now I'm able to, you know, go on and at least not have so much come out of my cash flow every <laughs> month.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and so for financial independence, I just uh, had an episode. Um, that the audience can listen to previously, it should be an episode or two before this one. And it talks all about house hacking. And I do think that house hacking is probably, well, I should, I feel like I should have done house hacking at this point, my lifestyle doesn't allow me to. But I really do think that house hacking is probably the best way to pursue financial independence. Now, if for any reason, house hacking isn't something that you feel comfortable with, or it's just not feasible in your area. I think this debate between buying and renting is the next crucial step because it can definitely impact your financial independence journey and financial position for decades to come. So I think it's very important to to decide whether it's right for you. And I'm glad that you know you're mentioning some of these considerations.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean it's, you know, it's it's really tough to decide obviously home ownership versus uh, is renting better. And I think you know a lot of times there are um, young professionals that think um, owning a house is you know the ultimate sign of financial independence, and for some people it absolutely is. But there are other times where renting might actually make more sense, um, especially when you're looking at the upfront costs. Right? Not everyone has these upfront you know couple of thousand dollars or tens of thousands of dollars saved. Um, Plus you always have these maintenance costs that pop up regularly with the house. Like I had to buy a new boiler here the other, (laughs) the other month. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's, well, there's a good thing that I had my emergency savings fund because that paid for the boiler basically.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you mentioned home ownership skills that you should definitely consider uh, before you buy a home. Um, So some of those home ownership skills are, painting and unclogging the toilet and just things that come with being a homeowner.
0: Absolutely. There is one resource I highly recommend to anyone who's considering home and that is YouTube. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I have learned it's, it's funny that you say unclogging the toilet because I had a major plumbing issue, I think it was last weekend. Uh, and it's not how anyone wants to spend their Sunday, trust me. But uh, it happened in my house. And so I you know, looked up handy dandy YouTube and was able to actually unclog the toilet. It was a major clogging issue. I mean, just not, not nice. Um, but it, I finally got it done after a couple of hours. But in the end, that, that actually saved me a couple hundred dollars versus had I called in an emergency plumber. So absolutely, you're right, Chris, make sure you understand some of the basic concepts, like you said, plumbing, even electricity, that definitely comes into play um, and try to, you know, save money that way too. So you don't have to hire these, uh, handymen because sometimes they can charge quite a bit of money.
1: Yep, definitely. So, you know, that, that is also another consideration for someone is whether you are someone who's handy or is willing to spend the time on YouTube and try to, you know, fix these things on your own, because if you're not, and you just prefer to hire someone, which is not, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but, like you mentioned, it's going to cost money because those are hidden costs that people don't really think about when it comes to home ownership. But homes definitely need that regular maintenance. I mean, from light bulbs to batteries to toilets to paint, everything uh, some, at some point will break down.
0: That's right. And, and quite frankly, that definitely is one of the cons, in my opinion. Um, you know, home ownership, like we said before, number one, there's high upfront costs. Um, the the entire process of buying a house can be pretty difficult and it was difficult in my case it was long and tiresome Uh, and then number three like you said Chris the the fact that the buyer the homeowner will incur um, maintenance and repair costs quite regularly um, is it, it could drain your budget right if you don't plan for it properly and don't have an emergency savings fund prepared for you know a new roof if you need it or a new boiler like I did it can it can really take a hit on you and so it's again it's very important that you plan out your home and your possible home maintenance costs that are associated with that
1: absolutely um I, actually uh, something like that happened to me I, I live in Florida as well and I'm, I'm happy to have you on because uh, I've gotten a lot of New York guests and I love New York but I'm happy to have somebody from the home state of Florida. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, recently my AC, well, a few months ago, actually, during the summertime, my AC kind of just, just gave out, didn't want to do it anymore. So it was pretty hot. And I called out somebody to repair it. I didn't know how to do it. And uh, they charged me, I think it was about $600 for the repair. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I guess I have to do it. And he's like, well you can save a little bit of money and I can come back in three days and I can give you a $400 option. I'm like three days. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a lot. So I said, you got to do it because I can't be in this Miami heat for three days. So
0: um, I hear you. It's tough. (laughs) It is.
1: It was. So those type of things just inevitably come up. So it's just something that you definitely want to consider before buying a home.
0: Absolutely. Right.
1: (laughs) So transitioning off of that, I do like the fact that you mentioned, don't let peer pressure or the media push you to purchase a home if you're not ready. Definitely purchase a home if it's on your terms and within your means, something that you're going to be comfortable with.
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, and and I think I just said this earlier too, there are a lot of times, at least in the young professional groups that, that I'm in currently, they it it seems like in their eyes, buying a house is the definition of financial success. And like you said, Chris, I think a lot of times that is the media talking um, and that is possibly other social circles talking, but that's not always the case, right? You don't really need a house to prove that you're financially successful. I think it depends on number one, are you emotionally ready to handle this? Uh, It's a lot of responsibility. So are you ready for that? Number two, are you financially ready? Um, And I think number three, are you professionally ready? Because sometimes, um, at least some friends I know, they travel a lot in their careers where it might not actually make sense to purchase a house. Because, you know, maybe they're three weeks in New York City, then two weeks over in Los Angeles consulting or whatnot, and maintaining and upkeeping their house during that time when they're gone, it just doesn't make sense. So an apartment mm-hmm. might make more sense or even a condo, but not a house necessarily. So absolutely, Chris, make sure that if you are considering buying a house, make sure it's on your own terms. That is so important.
1: Yeah. And um, so we kind of hit a few topics on our uh, points on homeownership. So I just wanted to, I guess, transition a little bit to renting. When would it be um, a better idea to rent? I know you kind of mentioned it, but um, I know, people who might travel or work might not be as stable. Maybe they're working, uh, maybe they see themselves at a different company within the near future. Um, do you think those should rent? Uh, those people should consider renting um, or, or has COVID changed anything in your mind?
0: Yeah, certainly. Um, I think, well, yeah, if you are, for example, if you don't have a lot of money set aside or cash set aside right now, um, obviously, renting is probably going to be your number one, but just because of home ownership, the upfront costs are very high. Mm-hmm. Renting, I'm sure, can be too, because at least from my renting experience, they wanted the current month and um, an equal deposit of the same cost of the current month's rent and the last month's rent all in one. So it was—I mean, oh, wow. it was definitely yeah, it was expensive too, but not as much as a home. Um, so that's number one. Number two, like you said, Chris, if you're, if you're traveling and you just don't have the capacity to call and make sure your, lawn, your gardener is there and your plumber and you know, whatever else you need or your pool guy, whatever, no, that it's probably not worth homeownership. Um, and, and also, if you want access to amenities, I think that's a big one. Um, assuming you don't live in an HOA, like a homeowners association, you just have a house outside of the homeowners association and you don't have amenities like pool access, a gym or whatever, um, renting can actually be a pretty nice, that can be a nice benefit to renting because um, a lot of apartments, for example, they have, um, or, or even home play, homes that you can rent that are located in HOAs, they have these gyms, they have pools, they have saunas, they have you know, <laughs> libraries even. So there's a lot of amenities, tennis courts, um, that are associated with that, that you typically don't get with a, Typical home like my house has none of that, um, and you know also there again there's a lot of flexibility um, in renting, and I think that's one of the biggest benefits there is for for renters right because if you don't if you lose your job right with COVID for example and you want to relocate um, this actually happened to one of my friends she was working um, over in the Saint Petersburg area and she lost her job uh, in October in 2020 due to COVID. And she relocated over to the Miami area. Um, And just because she was renting, it was so much easier. So literally, she canceled her lease, and she picked up her bags and went over to Miami and is renting now in Miami. Um, And it's, it's just very easy to move, travel, even downsize, change scenery, locations. That's why I think renting might be even a better choice for some young professionals than owning a home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. So I'm glad we're busting that myth here on the show. Uh, home ownership does not equal success. It depends on who you are and what you want out of life. And I, I, you have a quote here, which I think sums it up perfectly. If you don't mind me reading it, it says, um, it says buying a house is like getting into a relationship to make it work. You have to be focused on the long-term, be financially stable, want to settle and be emotionally ready, and I thought that that was like that was perfect.
0: That is the best quote I've heard. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs>
1: I thought you'd like it. Yeah.
0: I do. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs>
1: um, so, all right. Well, this has been, I think, an amazing conversation. I think I hope that it has provided clarity to people in the audience um, who are, you know, deciding whether to whether how to invest, and then lastly, whether to rent or buy um, on their financial journey. And I think what we've given the audience will help a lot in making that financial independence journey easier. Um, so thank you so much for joining the show. Is there uh, anything that you wanted to mention that we didn't really talk about?
0: You know, I think we talked about a very broad range. And, and uh, I think the the highlight that I want to leave here with your audience is regarding investing, just start. That is the most important thing right? Time is on your side. Time is so, so important when it comes to building your nest egg. And, um, you know, the the most important thing here is just starting. That's it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Perfect. So uh, Fiona, I did want to also give you the opportunity to let the audience know, I mean, uh, where can they find you and learn more about you and and learn more from you?
0: Certainly. So there are a few places you can find me. The first one is my website, themillennialmoneywoman.com. Um, there are new articles posted every single week, and you can also reach out to me personally via email. Um, that's the millennial at gmail.com. Or if you're an, a Twitter user, you can also always find me at the underscore M M W. And also conversely, if you prefer Pinterest, then you can always find me at the millennial money woman. So definitely reach out to me and I'd love to uh, get to know everyone.
1: Cool. Cool. Yep. And you're on the social. So I will link all those in the show notes below for anybody who wants to uh, find more and learn more from Fiona, the millennial money woman. So thank you, Fiona, for joining the show. I hope to have you back uh, soon. But again, thank you for dropping all that knowledge on us today.
0: It's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for having me.